Well, welcome everyone, and uh, we're just, man, I'm just excited to be together. I have this pastor friend in North Bay, and he writes every day for 24 days in December how excited he is about the Christmas Eve service at his church, and I can't get to that level, but I am excited to be with you tonight, and I uh, hope that uh, so far you've been enjoying yourself and uh, have been able to follow along with what we're doing. So tonight... Uh, if you're wondering, we don't just burn candles here for no reason. It's not that kind of place. And uh, these are actually, each one represents uh, a week of Advent leading to the arrival of the Lord Jesus. So as you can see, there's, there's uh, well, I don't know if you can see it actually. There's five candles here, and there's one in the center. So tonight, I get to light the center candle. This represents Christ coming to dwell among us. So this is this is my favorite part of the whole Christmas uh, season outside of uh, my family being nice to me this is good right here awesome and uh, later on we're going to uh, sing a song and while we're singing we're going to light the candles from the flame here so it's going to be good stuff all right so there we go but if I light it at the end it's only going to be lit up for a couple minutes that's why I do it now our uh, scripture theme for tonight comes from Isaiah chapter 9 verses uh, 6 through 7 and I'm going to read them to you. And uh, tonight, I, if you can remember anything, uh, tonight is about joy. That's what we're celebrating tonight, uh, this Christmas Eve, uh, the advent of joy. So our scripture theme tonight comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 9. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. At this time, I'm going to read a liturgy. Again, the words will be on the screen, but I just uh, want to just kind of put this into our hearts and minds uh, tonight, this Christmas. Here's the liturgy this evening. It says, let us, let us raise our glasses to toast this turning of the tide, this beginning of the victory of light. Winter has done its worst. The person who wrote this does not live in Canada. Disclaimer. Winter has done its worst, and by your grace, O oh God, we are still standing. This night marks not the victory of darkness, but the far limit of its incursion. And from here, like an army overrun, it will be pushed back, rolled up day by day as the sun draws nearer, warming the ground, till trees bud, flowers bloom, and birds return, and we pass again into the green and golden light of spring our world pregnant with the promise of resurrection. So let us assail this keep of winter with a sacrifice of conscious praise, kindling joy inside its dark heart, that we might find our own tired hearts stirred again to holy flame and our own wearied souls roused to remembrance of and trust in the long faithfulness of that same God who first spoke light into darkness. That same spirit who even now illumines our hearts and minds, and that same good shepherd who leads us through every long winter and into the budding fields and bright songs of a world newly awakened. Amen. 
So here's my question for you tonight. Why celebrate Christmas? Why? The answer is, <laughs> the answer to why determines the answer to how. So why celebrate Christmas? The answer to why determines the answer to how. Some celebrate because Christmas is fun. Right? Yeah, that's a good reason. Some celebrate because you get a couple days off work with pay. There's no school. There's lots of parties. There's gifts under the tree, maybe, if you're lucky. There's turkey. Amen. And there's get-togethers with family and friends. Some refuse to celebrate because it is a Christian holiday. Some refuse to celebrate Christmas because they trace its, they trace its origins back to pagan festivals in pre-Christian Europe. In the 4th century, Christians supplanted the pagan festival with a Christian festival. That's what happened. Others want to celebrate the season, but call it a different name. Some may say, well, it's a winter festival, the holiday season. Personally, I try not to get too worked up about the names. Much of what happens in this season is dishonoring to Christ anyways. The world can have Rudolph, Santa, and Frosty as fun as they are. But we can have a, distinct, a distinctly Christian Christmas where it's simply about Christ. I want to suggest these two things. There's two primary reasons for celebrating Christmas. It's good to celebrate Christmas, and there's two reasons. The first one is this, witness. Uh, according to an old research study done by the Barna Group, this is really old, so it's probably different now, but this is what I have. Uh, fewer than half of Americans who identify themselves as Christians say the most important part of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. Think about that. Fewer than half of the people that actually celebrate Christmas say that the, it's about the birth of Jesus. Now, if, you're, if you want to scratch your brain a little bit like me, yeah, that's a brain scratcher. While 88% of the 1,000 people surveyed identified themselves as Christians, only 37% of them said Jesus' birth is the most significant aspect of Christmas. What are they? Oh, this is where you want to smack people. Has this ever happened to you? Okay, no, you're not, you're not like me. Sorry. It's only me that thinks those things. Only 37% of them said Jesus' birth is the most significant aspect of Christmas. 44% of these people said family was the most significant aspect of Christmas. They must have good families, right? They just want to hang out with their families. All right. So our first one, witness. So here's a thought. We know that Christ is uh, why we celebrate Christmas, because of the reliability of Scripture. It tells us the true reason for Christmas. The Bible tells us the true, true reason for Christmas. Five times in the first two chapters of the book of Matthew, the scriptures state that events uh, that happen in that book fulfill Old Testament prophecies. So let me go through them. Matthew 1 verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then we have Matthew, that was Matthew chapter 1. Then we have Matthew chapter 2. Uh, verse 5, it says, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. So that's the second one. Then we have uh, a third one in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, it says, or excuse me, verse 15, it says, Where, uh, 
I'll read the whole thing. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, so that's Joseph took Mary and uh, Jesus, and left to Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord, what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt called my son. Then we have another one here, Matthew 2, verse 16 and 17. Then was fulfilled that what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, that Herod would go out and kill all the babies. And then we have Matthew 2, uh, verse uh, 23, and it says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, was, uh, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So these five things were all mentioned in the Old Testament, and all happened before the second, uh, by the end of the second chapter of the book of Matthew. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good, that's pretty good stuff. You and I probably couldn't make that happen, I would argue, but we can't. So the first one we look at is the reliability of Scripture here. And then the second part we look at is the virginity of the mother. So in Matthew 1, uh, cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I always like to joke this. Imagine you're about to get married and your bride tells you, guess what? I got pregnant, but not how you think I did. Oh, that's not good. Not good. <laughs> when his mother, uh, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what I would say to something like that. I'd probably run. That's what I would do. I'd run for the hills. That's my sign. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Man, this is a good dude. Resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All right? So Mary was a virgin. She conceived by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 23, verse 23 again, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in verse 25, it says, but, knew, uh, but Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So he didn't sleep with her until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we have, the, uh, we have the reliability of Scripture. We have the virginity of the mother. And then we have the deity of the son. Matthew 1, verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. This is an older reference, but I think we'll all uh, recall it in one form or another. After the first American astronaut landed on the moon, they're supposed to do that sometime soon, so it's going to come back. After the first American astronaut landed on the moon, the president of the United States stated this, the planting of human feet on the moon is the greatest moment in human history. Now, as you know, there was no Facebook when this happened. Am I right? I wasn't alive for it, but am I right about that? Okay. So Billy Graham said this. I was, it's like Billy Graham tweeting about it, right? <laughs> he said, with all due respect, he, didn't, he just wrote a letter, I think. With all due respect, the greatest moment in human history was not when man set foot on the moon, but when the infinite, eternal God set foot on the earth in Jesus of Nazareth. John 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The only one 
who came from the Father means Jesus is God's only and unique son. There's no other. The emphasis is on unique. Jesus is one of a kind and enjoys a relationship with God, unlike all believers who are called children and said to be born again. I'm a believer in Christ. That makes me a co-heir with Jesus, son of God. But the truth is, I'm still different than Jesus. Through the incarnation, Jesus became. He became the perfect teacher. In Jesus' life, we see how God thinks and therefore how we should think. We just do the things that Jesus tells us to do. Through the incarnation, Jesus, Jesus became the perfect example. As a model of what we are to become, he shows us how to live and gives us the power to live that way. Through the incarnation, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as a sacrifice for all sins. Every, everything. Well, pastor, I've done some messed up stuff for my friend. They, there is no way he can save my friend. My friend's crazy. Well, your friend may be crazy. Maybe you are too. But Jesus came as a sacrifice for all sins. All sin. Even, even crazy, outlandish Weird stuff, Pastor. There's some stuff up there. Yeah, there is. He came for all sin. All sin. Jesus came as a sacrifice for all sin, and his death satisf satisfied God's requirements for the removal of sin. Through the incarnation, Jesus became the purpose of his coming. In Matthew 1, verse 21, it says, She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. To save his people from Roman bondage would have been easy. To save them from sin was costly. But he saved every single one of us. Mark 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that, that his purpose here was you and me. Even to this day, 2,000 years before our lives even began, Jesus came to die for every single one of us. So Jesus came so that he would provide, uh, so that there, there would be a witness. And then we look at the next thought tonight, and it's about our worship towards Jesus. There's a prophecy in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, and it's, uh, it's known as Balaam's prophecy. And it probably prompted the Magi to search for Jesus. Those ones that brought the gifts, right, from far away, they brought these gifts. What, like, what cued them to bring those gifts? Well, Numbers 24, verse 17 says this. It says, I see, but not, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. So this is the book of Numbers, way, way back. Numbers 24, and then we go ahead to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced 
exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Before I talk about these three gifts, we sang this song just a, a couple minutes ago called, He is born, he is born, the son has come to dwell. And then at the end we sing, and I'll fall face down. We kind of have really messed up something in modern times. We have this idea that we can look into the face of Jesus. I don't think we can. He's too powerful. And the truth is, when we think of worship, and we think of uh, worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, when we worship Jesus, our actually most honorable and humble action is to simply fall physically face down. That's actually because we can't, we actually can't look at him because he's so powerful. I loved how these uh, magi, they came, they fell down and worshipped him. I don't know who this person is. They could even be here tonight. But one of my neighbors has this uh, uh, thing out on their front yard, Christmas decoration. And the first time I walked past it, I was like, what are these people doing? And then it, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so it took me a few times to walk past it before I figured it out. And it's actually Santa. <laughs> you're going to think it's funny. It's actually Santa. This is what threw me off was Santa was in the manger scene. But Santa was actually kneeling at the manger. I like that. It took me three times to figure it out. But once I figured it out, I was like, man, I love this place. So I walk by it all the time now. I'm like, yeah, and I get a good kick on myself. If you drive past it, you can think of me. May take you three times, but we'll get there. I loved how they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, here's the significance of these three gifts. If you're like me, you grew up and you're kind of wondering, what? okay, these gifts are nice, but like, what are they? Well, here's the first one, gold. Gold, we all like gold, but gold is a gift for a king. If you're ever going to see a king, you give him gold. Right? That's what you give. You, you, you hustle up some gold. You go out in the bush, hit some rocks. Hopefully you collect some if you're desperate, right? Whatever it takes. A gift for a king. And then we have uh, frankincense or incense. And that's a gift for a deity. You know, in other world religions, they've actually stolen this, where you'll offer incense to a, a, a false god, is what I would call it, Okay. Incense is a gift for a deity. And then we have myrrh, a spice for a person who was going to die. If you, someone gives you myrrh, you better watch out, right? And you can say, what are you doing, right? So we have gold, a gift for a king. We have incense, a gift for a deity. And then we have myrrh, a spice for a person who was going to die. These gifts may have provided the financial resources for the trip to Egypt and back. Some scholars actually think that the gifts were actually quite substantial. Not just, you know, I love it when we have like three little boxes. I'm like, no, no, that's not good enough for Jesus. We need a bit more. So these gifts were so, uh, so enormous, not just in their size, but in their, in their value, that it may have provided the financial resources for the trip to Egypt and back. Whether or not the Magi knew the significance of their gifts, we really don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and argue tonight. But we know that the baby in a manger, the one who received these gifts, is the eternal Son of God. Is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And will someday be rightly acknowledged as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
I'm going to close with a few scriptures. Worship team, if you'd like to come back and prepare for your uh, last few songs. Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, and, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And then we have Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I, look and I looked and I heard around the throne and the... Uh, excuse me. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Tonight I want to focus this uh, in on this last thought. Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. That's it. We can have joy tonight because Jesus has come, and he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away our sin. Every single one of us has things in our life, maybe a few things, maybe a lot of things, I don't know. But every single one of us, we have things in our life that we need to be forgiven for. And there's really only one that for, can forgive. If you do something mean to me, I'll forgive you. But there's only one person that really matters. And his name is Jesus. And tonight, I invite you just to consider Jesus and consider making him Lord of your life, making him number one in your life. You know, I don't take this Christmas Eve gathering lightly, but that we would take a moment to look to Jesus. This next song is actually titled, Behold the Lamb of God, and it talks about what Jesus has done in our lives. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Let me pray and then the worship team is going to uh, lead us. So Father, I thank you tonight. Lord, I thank you that you've given each one of us joy. Uh, it's okay to be excited. It's okay to be happy. But tonight, Lord, I'm joyful because I know that you are the Lamb of God who's come to take away my sins. You're the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And Lord, every single one of us has fallen short. We don't measure up to you, Lord Jesus. No matter how good we are, how awesome the things are that we've done, how many people like us, how many people know us, how wealthy we are, none of it matters. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who takes away my sins and our sins together. What do we remember that tonight? In Jesus' name, amen.